After immigrating from South Africa in 1985, Joshua and Phyllis Heller established Joshua Heller Rare Books, Inc. in Washington, D.C. and quickly became leading dealers in contemporary fine printing and beautifully illustrated books. The Hellers focused not only on 20th century material and contemporary artists' books, but also include scholarly editions and fine bindings in their inventory. Their well-known mail-order catalogs are distributed to an international audience. Welcome, the two of you, to the Bibliophile. Thank you. How have you achieved your success to this point? Success is a difficult thing to measure. It's important that trust is established and recognition is established. The greatest collection of the kind of books that we admire and that we aspire to sell are right here in Washington, D.C. at the Library of Congress, and it's the Rosenwald Collection. And Rosenwald always credits his dealer, Rosenbach. Who Dr. Would, Rosenbach. Correct. As coming to him and saying, I have something that will fit with your collection. He was handsomely paid for his services, of course, but today... 50, 60 years later, what remains is the finest collection of its kind in North America. That is because there's this great connection between, and trust I would say, between dealer and collector. And in a small, tiny way, any book dealer of repute or reputation to walk in those giant footsteps makes a lot of sense. The typical collector that you would deal with, it seems to me, like to have perhaps a greater interest in a work of art for the object rather than, let's say, wanting J.M. Coetzee's works. First of all, J.M. Coetzee is a great literary figure in South Africa and also on the world literary stage. We're talking apples and oranges here because Coetzee one buys his books for the literary content period regarding a work of art that could be a painting or a print or a piece of sculpture we're not in that business we are purveyors of books that contain art particularly original art original etching original lithograph original woodblock so limited prints then you're quite right the book has to have some sort of limitation because, as you know, if you go on printing with the same etching plate, it does wear out. It establishes its own limitation. In any case, for the artist to print an endless amount of this piece of art, or eight pieces, or twelve pieces, or fifty pieces, it's not what he or she wants to do because... Uh, the creative process is what the artist is interested in. And once the idea has been put into print, as they say, they often want to get on with the next project. I'm the J.M. Coetzee collector. I love his work, even though it's he very worked, challenging. He worked very for my uncle. His father worked, sorry. His father, his father worked for my two uncles. My two uncles were pioneers in the dried fruit and canning industry in the town I came from, Worcester. Mm. And my father was a book smuggler. <laughs> I, I will qualify that. 
by telling you, I'm going back a little bit, and that would probably make it more, give a foundation to all this chatter. Um, my father uh, and my mother had four sons, we're still all around, there are three in fact in one square mile, yeah, I'm the eldest. And um, You all moved to Washington? Three of us. One in London. One in London. Antique dealer. And um, they were poor. And he was a pioneer in the milling industry. He started in the Cape Town docks carrying sacks of flour and wheat when he came from the Baltic as a young man. And uh, he was self-educated and how did he, he moved to the small town called Worcester and started the small mill. And they were very poor, but he would move to Cape Town for the day or two and then come back and bring a book and smuggle it past my mother. There was hardly food on the table, but <laughs> the, the book would come in surreptitiously into the house and then my mother would say, where did this come from? And there would be a little argument. And uh, this is how he built up his library, and this is how he, mostly engineering books. And uh, we ended up in having a giant mill, which was eventually sold to a, a, a conglomerate, a big insurance company. And that's when we all emigrated, when my father passed away. So uh, there were always books around. And, and that's what I liked when I met him and I came to their house and I found he had cupboards full of books. And then after books. World War II, no, we were at the tip of Africa, remember. There were no, you know, we'd heard of Picasso and we'd heard of uh, all the great artists but never saw anything. It's such funny you should mention Picasso because yeah. Picasso had a huge impact on Andre Brink. Yes. We have a book to show you on Picasso. Uh, done by Picasso, his own hand, Lysistrata, a very famous book, signed by Picasso. It was interesting in that... Uh, could see uh, uh, in his biography, uh, speaks about, on page one, his father. He writes that his father worked for the Heller Boys, and that, they were all came from the same town, Worcester, okay. which, is, uh, which is 75 miles inland from Cape Town, okay. across the mountains. To come back how things started, you did an interview with Henrietta Dax at Clark's Bookshop. And I credit Anthony Clark for calling one day to Worcester, where I was working in the mill for my father. He said, you know, I'm getting the famous author and antiquarian Colin Franklin from Oxford, England. He's coming to Cape Town and he would like to come and see you. Because I started buying books from Anthony Clark who actually worked for Quaritch, Quaritch the great uh, booksellers in London. And that's where he cut his teeth. Yeah. Anthony was a great book man. Yeah. But Colin Franklin, that Joss is going to tell you about, actually wrote a book on the private presses. It's on the table. Okay. Colin Franklin comes from a distinguished Anglo-Jewish family. His sister was Rosalind Franklin, uh, the, of DNA fame. 
and Mr. Nobel Prize to some misdemeanor on the other two recipients. In any case, she was about to crack the DNA code. She invented the X-ray crystallography. This was uh, his sister, and he, uh, Colin Franklin himself, is one of the great scholars of the book world, still living at 84, 85, and written about 12 or 15 books. And he's my mentor. And at that time, he started our collection. He helped you go in the right direction? Correct. He would offer things, and I would say yes or no. Uh, but he had only wonderful things, and he has wonderful things. The, my initial question had to do with Kotsia, yeah. and my passion yeah. for collecting first editions of his work yeah. versus the kind of collector that you seem to work with primarily, which is not my kind of collecting, yeah. but someone who's more of an art collector, but interested in books all the craft involved in and around books that would have similar features to a work of art. The uniqueness, the, the beauty, the quality of craftsmanship, that kind of thing. Yes, it I does appeal to the aesthetic taste, I guess, but many of the fine print books, people read it too. Okay. And most of our people that we sell to are institutions. In any case, yes, where we should draw a line in the sand and tell you that as many ideas that are available to us in the Britannica Encyclopedia from air that we breathe, water that we drink, uh, the earth that we till for crops, anything that you want to know about medicine, all the disciplines, even sword fighting, any kind of discipline known to man, there's a book. Books are collected for their value as content, and there are so many disciplines that there are so many booksellers who handle these military books, specialties mm -hmm. on medicine. You cannot mesh J.M. could see with the kind of books we are selling. So we must separate it right here. That's what so I'm trying to do. We sell to special collections divisions at university libraries, and the books are shown to design students, fine art students, English literature students, all over the country. Many institutions now have departments where they do the book art. And what about the fine presses then? Uh, we start with fine printing in summer 1986. This is after you've moved to moved Washington? Washington from, from South Africa. Just to go back to background again. In another life, before coming to Washington, in South Africa, I was invited to join one of the most famous booksellers in America, Jake Zeitlin, uh, in La Cienega Boulevard in Los Angeles. Jake Zeitlin in the Red Barn was a much admired antiquarian book dealer. He was aging, and uh, his staff and Jake wrote to me in South Africa and said, come visit in Los Angeles, let's talk. Uh, but my family was here in Washington and I felt Los Angeles was the other end of the world and too far away from South Africa and London. So I settled in Washington instead with my family. 
So we've made a, a clarification between collecting first editions of 20th century authors, modern first. That's not your area. We've talked about the qualifications of the book artists that you prefer. Then there's the fine presses, correct? Well, the fine presses is what I want to show you. Eric Gill was one of the daddies, including uh, William Morris and Cogan Sanderson. He was most successful in combining his art with the text. In fact, his most famous book is The Four Gospels. Stunning classic, very much wanted, where the marriage of text and image is absolutely faultless. How do you define faultless? The most difficult thing in fine printing and successful page layout is the white space. And white space is the most difficult thing to achieve. And today the modern graphic designer doing a catalogue or even a, a, a monograph on an artist will shove the text into the gutter mm. and leave half a page of white space on the right hand side when they should be centering it or near centering the text block. So you actually have to tear the book apart, mm. including modern magazines, to try and see what the text was that somebody has written and taken the trouble to write. I've heard it called thumbage. Yeah. What works is when you want to put the illustration with a text, the text remains readable and the image enhances the page. And that's the difficult part and you have to have a trained eye for that. The big thing is, have you served your apprenticeship? Have you looked at books in libraries? And I always tell students, go down to the libraries. It's all free. Mm -hmm. Ask to see some fine examples. But you say enhances. How yes. do you mean enhances? It makes it easier to read? It oh. improves the overall design. The whole image is becomes attractive. Attractive. Yeah, attractive, pleasing to the eye. Mm -hmm makes you want to delve into the text because the image helps you read the text mm. because the image sparks off the interest in the text. But to put it crudely, there's a photograph in the big news piece about Sarah Palin today. There's a, a <laughs> caption that says this uh, the governor is losing her pants uh, or something. So we want to read more. The photograph is yeah. the same as an illustration. It's yeah. going to spark your interest in the other. Yeah, the one helps the yeah. other. The fine press printers then are the ones that do that the best. No. No. Okay. Not, well, we like better uh, press. Well, uh, we like lots of them. Robert Ringhurst, mm -hmm. you may have heard of. Yes. yes. He used the word invites. Yeah. Right. Invites I like that. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So. But the fine press people are a little different to the contemporary artist book and it is very hard because when I do the cataloguing sometimes I'm unsure of whether to use a name and is the name more important than the press or is the press more important than the person illustrating or writing and so it is something that gets decided on a subjective basis. So the question then is, for the fine printing press, they're sort of straddling these worlds then, aren't they? I suppose they would be sold in antiquarian bookstores, but the majority of people who go into an antiquarian bookshop aren't necessarily after fine print 
or private press books. But then they stumble across it, and that is the problem with the modern books, standalone bookstore. If that disappears, the facility of doing that will go as well. Stumbling across a beautiful work of art, a beautiful or anything, fine press book. Or a J.M. Kutzi's book. The, the thrill, thrill of the, of the, the hunt. hunt. Correct. And this that's disappearing. And so we're going yeah. to go onto the internet and say, wow, there's that little thumbnail thing. I, that doesn't look attractive. It's horrible. You can't touch it. You have to touch and it. And let's come back to the, a book that we like to handle. We like to handle it because the thrill of turning the handmade paper, the, cream, uh, the crackle of beautiful paper, the, the visual excitement of discovering the book, uh, the beautiful poetry that is there that the artist said to want to have included in the book. Mm. And it's got to be timeless and that will be held forever. Mm. That statement will be proved correct by anybody visiting the Rosenwald Collection at the Library of Congress. And those books are accessible to anybody because they belong to the nation. Uh, the wonderful Fisher Rare Book Room is marvellous. We know the librarian for years. Landon is his name? Richard Landon. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Marie, and a great scholar. I've spoken there to, uh, to an audience on Eric Gill. Haven't they got the Darwin collection? They've got very important... No, uh, insulin. 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 Uh, so, uh, people coming to Richard Landon saying, Richard, can I see some of your books on insulin? And if it's a genuine scholar and there's a letter of recommendation, mm. they will bring out all these books. And the thrill of finding the information that you need, but also in our, particularly in our kind of book, there's this. Would you like me to read this out? Yeah. Okay. If I were to ask what it is at once the most important production of art and the thing most to be longed for, I should answer, a beautiful house. And if I were further asked to name the production next in importance and the thing next to be longed for, I should answer, a beautiful book. To enjoy good houses and good books in self-respect and decent comfort seems to me to be the pleasurable end toward which all societies of human beings ought now to struggle. <laughs> and whose quote is it? William Morris. William yes. Morris, okay. Yes. This is a concern then for the fine presses in the country, in the world. The mere fact that the tactile encounter is so important to them. Yes. And the fact that more and more bricks and mortar antiquarian yes. bookshops are, are closing. closing. So what's the solution? Uh, well, their solution is the internet, and they think that they can use the lever and walk uh, the streets and flog what they produce. My theory, speaking with my dealer's hat, is to find a good dealer as well to supplement the income. For the fine presses it, to use a dealer? To use a dealer, yeah, of course. It's been traditional yes. to do that. Right, well, I can tell you, if you want it straight, the fact is they have their own mailing lists, too. Of course, yes. Right, and so this They're makes They're all subscribers, it, yeah. Correct, and so this makes it difficult for dealers. It makes it difficult because it's the same small world interested in the same kind of books. Yeah, I mean, they're going directly to the customer as opposed to through a, a middleman. 
Right. And that's probably where they need help. You think that they should use more dealers? Well, could be. Sympathetic to their cause. Uh, Do we still have a problem with J.M. Kutsi literature, fine printing, and then so-called artist books? Do we have a problem with that? I don't think so. I think there's a, we've more or less categorized or separated them. Do you think? Oh, books on medicine. I mean, I don't sell books on medicine because I know nothing about it. Mm. I don't sell military books because I know nothing about armaments or anything mm. or military wars or through the ages. And just to, in closing, we've talked about artist books, we've talked about fine press books, we've talked about modern first editions and try to, to separate them, and although there's a, a bleed over, if you will. Do you have to have a huge budget to collect the kind of books that no. uh, you sell? No. What should the, the budding collector who doesn't have a huge budget, how should they proceed then? You should listen to the tape that we've made today. It said you should go to libraries and look at books. What is your interest yachting? What is your interest swimming? What is your interest physical culture? What is your interest in medicine? Uh, go to the Library of Congress and say to the Rare Book Division, I want to see important early books on medicine. Books that you're interested in your subject matter. Military books, any kind of books that you have an affinity with the subject. Yeah, a passion for Correct. Then, in a small way, say, do you think there's a good dealer who can help me build up a small, modest collection on books on on medicine? Do you want to collect early medicine? Do you want to collect contemporary medicine? I know people who are collecting books on space travel. Any amount of subjects are available to the person that's interested. Let's look at your field. The same thing. Go to the galleries, they're free in Washington. Go and see painting exhibitions. Educate yourself, your eye, that is. Uh, So this will form a foundation for the kinds of books that you want to collect. You don't want to fly blind. Then comes the pocketbook. PBS had just aired a book, uh, a film on the Vogels. It was a postman in New York with his wife. They lived in a tiny apartment. apartment. On a postman's salary. He amassed over the years, he had a fabulous eye, he and his wife, Mm. living in New York, didn't miss a thing in Manhattan, collected over 40, 50, 60 years, stuffed their apartment with all sorts of incredible things. They bought as it happened. As the people produced it, he befriended various artists. Prince, it was prints and books, I think, but mostly prints. Same principle. So you see something that you like. There's no way you can afford them. So what do you do then? Start small. We had for years a charming book on chess with wonderful little woodcuts. Maybe it was $100. And the books that we sell, the catalogue that we have there on the table, there were books that it depends how far you want to go. Mm. Susan Alex's books are today five, six, seven thousand dollars, a lot of money. Mm. But on the secondary market they are much more. They weren't all like that, she had books. 
$200 less. What I get from what you've said that seems to be most important is to, is to get them when they're produced. Yeah. And ideally what you want to do and is try and find artists that may just be starting out but are doing things that are in your... Or talk to a Dr. Rosenbach. Joshua no, no. I like learning from the masters. Read some of the books about top book dealers. And Colin Franklin's book that I told you about. Ah, yes. The he, Private Presses. By and Colin that was Franklin. a sort of pioneer book. And But then about the books we're talking about is one of the Bibles of the modern illustrated artist book is this kind of book. Just handed me from Manet to Hockney, mm-hmm. Modern Artists Illustrated Books, the Victoria and Albert Museum. One of those sort of bedrock exhibitions that people take as Bible today of what an artist book is, what should be collected. And one of the most famous books ever, modern books, is Jazz by Henri Matisse which is available at the Library of Congress to be seen, and that is uh, Riva Castleman's great book in the Museum of Modern Art, and that's one of, also one of the great reference. It's called, yeah, it's called A Century of Artists' Books, books by uh, Riva Castleman, published by the Museum of Modern Art. Yes. So what we haven't spoken about is, and what I did was, I collected reference books. Not only did I amplify my knowledge by going to galleries, buying books, seeing things in the flesh, but buying reference books. Books about books. Books about right. Does that cover it? Thank you very much for clarifying lines that are difficult or impossible to clarify, for giving advice to the potential uh, artist book collector. I've been speaking with Joshua and Phyllis Heller, who established Joshua Heller Rare Books, Inc. in Washington, D.C. in 1985. Thanks again. Oh, thank you.